Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So your boy went Pretty viral yesterday talking about the audacity of ESPN to archive hockey games for only 30 days during a regular season of 82 games. And apparently Hockey Psycho was not happy with me, nor ESPN. So we're actually going to have to break down how streaming works, how the business model works, for those who can't understand it. Also, I've got a Liberty's Last Stand update for you. Disease X is taking center stage as the WEF plans their massive new takeover of your freedom or something like that. Don't Say X is a brand new thing featured at the WEF and in leftist academia, lest I repeat myself because apparently free speech is scary or something. Oh, and then there's other craziness ensuing because it's a WTF, not a WEF, but a WTF Wednesday. I'm Andrew Coppins, and you're tuned in to Critical Thinking. All right, folks, thank you for tuning in. I'm Andrew Coppins. You can follow me on the wonderful world of X or on Facebook, or elsewhere on social media, at The Coppins Show. That's right, at The Coppins Show. And if you are following, then you probably have noticed over the last 24-ish hours uh, a lot of talk about streaming, ESPN, classic sports games, consumption, and usage, and data. And I really struggled with whether I bring it to the show or not, but I think I need to. And I need to because I think people in general need to get a better understanding of how streaming works, what it's about, and most importantly, what you do and don't actually own or have rights to, period, when it comes to streaming on-demand video, and the like. So, this all started when a hockey writer who I have never, ever, ever heard of, but apparently has some 44,000 followers over on X, posted that he was telling us that ESPN is no longer archiving games for their NHL package, 
that are older than 30 days. They are no longer allowing you to stream those games that are older than 30 days. My simple response to that was, who in the blue hell is streaming a random game from, let's say we're in game 62 and we're going to stream game four or game seven of the season? Who's doing that? Whom? Now, here's the rub with all of this. I get the want for classic historic games or series or things like that to be able to be consumed. I do. I totally understand that. However, ESPN never had access to that market to begin with. We are not, let's just be very clear on this, talking about games from 30, 40, 20 years ago, whatever you might want to talk about. We are talking about in-season broadcast and streaming rights that ESPN holds. That's what we're talking about. Period. Point blank. That is it. Now, the hockey writer said, well, for those of us who want to do analyzation of data and this, that, and everything else in between, we need to be able to go back to games earlier in the season and da 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 To that argument, I say, bullshit, a bullshit, a bullshit. Any analyst, any statistical analysis or algorithmic, machine-learned, AWS, next-gen stats, or whatever have you, for the NHL or any other sport that is worth its salt is being done in real time, taking in all of the data points from all of the games all of the time. Advanced stats are happening in milliseconds after any action and all action of a player has been done. The player moves five feet up ice. Guess what happens? That's recorded in advanced stats. And all of it is done in near real time. Now, let's also deal with the fact that you, the sports writer, you are likely, on average in the NHL, there's, what, 32 teams in the NHL right now, so... You're maybe one of 50 at best sports writers per team in the totality of things that might might want to have access to this. How many, by the way, of the 50 or so that might be in this realm, the beat writers, the whatever. Okay, so let's say it's 200 in totality. The non-bloggers in the world of covering the NHL. Let's say it's 500. Let's say it's 5,000. How many of them have ever actually gone beyond 30 days to consume a game during an 82-game season? How many? I will bet you dollars to donuts that number is less than 1%. Now, let's move forward to the consumer side of things. But but I like to consume it in the 
in the summer, in between, you know, the seasons and this, that, and everything in between. Again, are you actually consuming random games from this past season? Or are you looking at the truly classic moments in which you are already going to YouTube or some other area to find to begin with? Because ESPN's quote-unquote archives of the NHL have existed for a couple of years. It's only been a few seasons that they have had full control of the on-demand streaming for your favorite team in the NHL. So I'm calling BS. No, you are not consuming these games. Furthermore, my biggest argument here is this. If there was an actual market for this, if there was a real monetizable marketplace, ESPN wouldn't make this move. Instead, the cost to continue to archive game after game, we are talking about 82 games times 32 teams, figure out the math per season. It's thousands upon thousands of games. All of that having to be stored and to those who say, but they're already paying for the storage because moi, 30 days. Right, and then when you run up to the next 30 days that you have to store something, it's an additional cost. ESPN doesn't own its own servers. ESPN is paying for the amount of storage that they need to some company somewhere to store all of this footage and all of the data, if you will. If there was a marketplace, if there was real numbers, if there were real numbers behind the fan bases showing that they actually consumed this product after 30 days, which would be the initial storage that they're paying for at ESPN, they would continue to offer the service. They might also continue to look at doing what I suggested yesterday. If this marketplace was real, it would be monetizable. You could say, oh, by the way, if you want these games on demand for more than 30 days, pay us an extra $2.99 a month or pay us an extra $5 a year, right? Instead of it costing you $9.99 or $11.99 or whatever, it's going to cost you $15.99 to get access all the time to every game forever that we have the rights to. But then I have a further question to the crowd who says, but Andrew, I want access to all the games that ESPN is already providing. What happens when ESPN's agreement with the NHL ends? Oh, that's right. All of those games that you love so much, never actually are consuming on a monetizable level, go bye-bye to begin with. Here's the reality of streaming services for you non-sports fans as well. 
You are not paying for downloadable, ownable products. You're not. This is not how this works in any way, shape, or form. Great example, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Apple TV. Now, Apple TV, you might pay to buy a movie, right? Or you might rent a movie. Notice they say on Amazon, rent, because you don't own the movie. Why? Because Amazon Prime, unless it's an Amazon Prime original program, whether that's a TV show or a movie, they don't even own the rights to it. They own the rights to distribute the product, just like ESPN is buying the rights to distribution of the NHL's product. The NHL actually owns the product. And its broadcast partners own the product. You don't own anything streaming. You pay for access. You are reimbursing Amazon, ESPN, Disney Plus, um, whatever. You are your payment to them is a reimbursement for them investing in massive amounts of content, whether that's original or procuring the rights to content that you would like to consume. That's what you're paying for. It is as simple as that. In what world do you think that you have the right to demand ownership of something you have never owned to begin with? And again, I guarantee you ESPN is not in the business of trying, especially with live broadcast rights and broadcast rights, period, in which they monetize the most of. I guarantee you they are not in the business of denying access to the customer who consumes their product at the highest level, which is their broadcast rights. Not their individual shows, not their talking heads or anything like that, but actual games. That's the product that people are still wanting ESPN for or ESPN Plus or whatever have you. That's it, folks. That's the whole shebang that you're paying for access for. They're not in the business of denying those customers access to the things that make them money. It turns out this is a money-losing proposition for them holding on to this product forever. Period. Point. Blank. I don't understand how people don't understand the model here and why they might want to do this and why it makes sense. Again, if you're a sports fan, when is the last time you watched... Um, week four of the 2019 NFL season for your favorite team. Guarantee you the fourth of never because you probably don't even remember whom your favorite team played in week four of the 2019 NFL season unless that was somehow a classic, historically important game. 
And there's only 17 oops in 2019, 16 of those games to consume. Let alone 82 in the NBA or NHL. It's just nuts. But folks, beyond all of that insanity, um, I have an update for you on Liberty's last stand. What areas are we going to focus in on? Because here's the reality. I cannot do all things all the time by myself. That's just an impossibility. I have a real life. I have an actual paying job, right? Now, if you guys want to be benefactors of this show and and uh, we do this thing full time, do it up bigly like that. You've got the money to throw behind the show. I am all ears for us putting a partnership together like that. But in lieu of something like that, I think it is wise of us to focus on some areas within the theme of Liberty's Last Stand. So I thought to myself, what are some pillars, areas that we can actually focus in on here in 2024? Some th- some themes within the theme or sub-themes, if you will. So here they are. We're going to be watching stories, trends, all of that jazz in the following four areas the most this year. Number one is educational freedom. We're going to talk religious freedom, economic freedom, and community freedom. And I'm not going to go into super massive detail because... I have a ton to get to on a WTF Wednesday, but the reasons that I'm focusing on each of these have to do with one thing, the future. Liberty's last stand. Where are we going? How do we reset? How do I help to reset the political formula that is in existence right now? But also recognize that building a new political formula, building that new common narrative, right? Takes time. It takes effort. And we're going to need that. But if the pillars, the foundation, if you will, are strong, we're fighting in the areas of educational, religious, economic, and community freedom, liberty can maintain some sort of healthiness and growth within the populace, even in really dark times like we are currently in. And if you remember back to the conversation I had with Oran McIntyre about political formulas, about liberty, he believes it is a thousand percent dead, and I think it is on its very last legs. But these are the areas that I think we have to focus in on because all of the doom and gloom, let's tell the good stories. Let's tell the truth. Let's tell and shine a light on the bad parts, the good, and everything in between. So why educational freedom as a pillar, if you will, within Liberty's Last Stand? Simply put, this is the most futuristic, but it is also the area in which we have to watch currently There is no future for liberty if we're not focused on educational freedom, period, point blank. We are not going to see liberty live 
if it doesn't have an educational component that is about the promotion of liberty. It all starts here, starting to grow the seeds of liberty back for the next generation, one person, one individual, one community, one larger narrative being built brick by brick by brick, if you will. And in today's world, that means fighting for the freedom to educate your child as you, the parents, and the child, because I believe this is a and discussion, by the way, how you see fit, whether that is inside the home, outside of the home, however works best for your child. Maybe as you can't afford to do something else and you put them in the public school, but you focus at home on teaching the lessons of liberty, right? But do you have the freedom to do that? Look at the fight that's going on with educational choice and freedom, as I put it. Look at the want of the left and its union hacks in the teachers' union to try to stymie charter schools, competition of any sort, their anti-school choice stances, their want to stop homeschooling. Why? Because if you are in control of the, the narrative over them, what does that do to their indoctrination centers? I mean public schools. Government got us into this indoctrination system that exists. It cannot get you out of it. Only you can. So we're going to focus on stories around educational freedom, both the good and the not so good. We want to shine a light on those who want to steal your freedom of educational choice, but also those who are doing things differently within that space. What about religious freedom? Why? This actually goes back a few years for me. Remember reviving liberty, all of that? Simply put, centering and putting yourself back to a God-centered life is the very first step we have to take on an individual, on a familial, on a community, and then on a broader national social level. It is the first step. We do not have liberty if we do not have some return to a focus on God. It can't happen if we're not free to actually practice and put into practice our biblical worldview. Liberty cannot, again, exist without God. It's the most important lesson and the most important thing that our founding fathers actually focused on about themselves and what they were doing. They wrote about it. They told us about it in that moment. Today's history books largely don't tell you that story, but it exists in their own words, deeds, actions, and how they set this country up to begin with. But let's go ahead and move forward here to economic freedom. Why? Again, do we even have liberty if you're not free economically? 
And this has to be one of the main focuses because we're at a massive economic inflection point in this country. There are a lot of people who see trillions being spent over budget every single year and wondering to themselves, wait a second, the bubble hasn't burst at any point in time. And I'm going to tell you this, quite literally since I've been paying attention to politics, which is about 1988, uh, 1990-ish, because I was a nerd like that (laughs) growing up. But since I've been paying attention, the refrain is we have to control our debt or the bubble's going to burst and we're in trouble. But it hasn't for 40 years. And that is the main argument that modern monetary theorists are using to push socialism as a policy down our throats. And a socialistic economy means you don't have economic freedom. Are we going full socialist like MMTers want us to? Or are we going to try to get back to capitalistic principles, let alone free market in practice? We have to focus on this area. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. We have to know thy enemy in all of these areas and know where we are, where we want to go, and how we can deliver different for liberty in these areas. And then finally, community freedom, why? This one is important because our founders fought over the amount of centralization of our government. Think about this. We had the Federalist Papers, right? Federalists versus Anti-Federalists. All of that jazz, less than 10 years after we fought for freedom from Great Britain, right? But let me ask you this. Are we closer to localized governmental community control Or are we closer to centralized federal government control over everything that you say, do, act upon, that your state government can and can't do, that your local government can and can't do? If you want liberty to stand instead of fall, it better start happening in your own home, in your community, And we have to stop the focus on Trump versus Biden. Focus on the things that are right in front of you right now. In fact, I would suggest that is the the reality in all of this stuff. That most of liberty has been burnt to the ground. Real, actual, fundamental liberty has been burnt to the ground. And we have to pick the pieces back up and build again. And it can only start in your community, but it can only start in your community if you allow it to be able to exist. If you know that the federal government is off your back, is going to stop meddling in community-based decisions. Now, all of these areas are going to be focuses for interviews, stories, We're going to continue to watch through the lens, the news of these themes, because I think it is important, whether that's a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, where we highlight a story every week in these categories or not, or it's a month by month type of a thing. But I'm going to try to bring you interviews that are about these ideas. I'm going to try to bring you stories that are about these ideas. And that's really where critical thinking is going to take place in 2024.
Now, all of that out of the way, now is a great time for us to go in to WTF Wednesday. Is there anything more WTF than the WEF would be a really good question. But story number one in WTF Wednesday is the WEF is, well, apparently coming at us again with another planning session for a pandemic, this time called Disease X, that plans for something that is 20 times the scale of COVID-19. I'm actually going to focus in on what this really is and what the the game plan really is on tomorrow's show. I'm going to deep dive on this, by the way. So I don't want to dive too deep into the waters right now. But here's what I'm going to say on this. I'm not as scared of this as some people are from this perspective. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Was our world prepared to handle a novel virus? No. On a very basic and fundamental level. Now, did we step up to the plate, deliver ventilators, do all these types of things? Absolutely. But as if you wanted to go back into the archives of this show, You'll probably see me talk about this at the very beginning. Health officials, whether that was simply um, your employee health nurses, your OSHA representatives, or whatever at a singular hospital, and then more broadly within that community, have been talking about the need for readiness for this type of a situation in a hospital setting. We were not prepared for it. Why? Because hospitals were making the bet that sitting there with ventilators and a supply of them that may or may not ever need to be used was a waste of precious resources. And then it turned out when you actually needed them, well, we were able to produce them, but just not fast enough. And one can make an argument that some of the mitigation of early COVID stuff might've been helped by having the supplies and the things that hospitals needed to help people that were severely sick. You can make that argument, and I think it's actually a really decent argument. But on the flip side, 
is some of the detail of what's happening with Disease X at the WEF. Not good. Not good for freedom. Not good for liberties. Last stand. So I'm just going to leave it there. But part of this is smart. Part of it is very dangerous. If you care about national sovereignty, let alone your own personal liberty and sovereignty. That's all I'm going to say on that. Now, that being said, also at the World Economic Forum in Davos, apparently um, X is a word you can't say or something. For a long time I was on Twitter, um, and now it's become such a toxic place that I've concluded it's not a worthwhile place to spend time. And as you said, it is exhausting. So you do have to pick and choose. And you have to think about where the places where you can get your message across. But I am trying to figure out, I mean, I have given up on X. What a scary name that even is, right? <laughs> um, and I don't know what the alternative is right now. So the question of the social media, I must say that I have happened on Twitter too. Uh, so X, because yeah, it's toxic environment, and we talk about. I have no solution on that, mm. but I think one day it will come the moment of the um, code of conduct mm -hmm. in these places. Because journals, journalists, if you spread crazy news and insults, and if you if a journalist says racist things. It can it can be amended. Exactly. Why on so why social media that they have such big power? We still can because it's new. But I think we, there will be a societal reflection on how information is brought mm -hmm. there. Of course, on X now there is also the the policy of the, the of the owner that is problematic. But I think this is a problem of uh, of the society of the future, the deontology in social. What the fresh hell was that? It's not a redeemable place, a worthwhile place, blah, 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 blah. Um, and X is somehow scary. Do, uh, not really. It's different. I, it's hard to get used to because you've been used to for over a decade, the lexicon of Twitter, right? tweets versus posts and blah, 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 whatever. But also the suggestion in this video that journalists have recourse for making mistakes or getting facts wrong. What part of the last eight years suggests that they care about that at all and do anything about it at all? Have we seen a mass apology tour for the Russian collusion hoax that the international journalistic media ran with forever? Nope. Have we seen any of you pay a price, any of you grovel at the feet of the world for your lies around COVID-19? No. For your inability to simply understand basic data analysis? Nope. What self-recourse have you given us? None. Absolutely none. And that, my friends, is actually the problem here. It's not that X is scary and people can say whatever, but there's no real recourse. 
There's been no recourse for you. There's been no amending. There's been none of that. And by the way, Elon Musk has given people who, novel concept, pay for advanced features the ability within a certain limit of time, because there's always going to be that, to do what? Self-edit. Also, just take the post or tweet down and then issue a correction. Now, it's not the same because here's the rub. A lie spreads a thousand times while the truth might spread ten times. And that's true on social media as well. That absolutely is true, and I think it's a fundamental flaw of our society. But what are you going to do when it's a fundamental flaw? Now, oh boy, oh boy, uh, we this one from the WTF pile at the WEF. I mean, ecocide as a word is becoming more, it's becoming better known around the world. And the concept is generally mass damage and destruction of nature. Um, But legally speaking, um, what our organisation and other collaborators aim to do is to have this recognised legally as a serious crime. Because one of the issues that sort of pervades all of this discussion is that we have a kind of cultural, very ingrained habit of not taking damage to nature as seriously as we take damage to people and property. Um, and that, I mean, you know, if you're campaigning for human rights, at least you know mass murder, torture, all of these things are serious crimes. But there's no equivalent in the environmental space. Um, and so, and, and you know, unlike a, an international crime like genocide that in, involves a specific intent, with ecocide, what we see is actually what people are trying to do, what businesses are trying to do, is make money, is you know, is farm, is fish, is do all of these things that are. Um, you know, producing energy and so on um, as well. But what's, it, what's missing is the awareness and the conscience around the side effects, around the collateral damage that happens with that. Are we talking about the illegal shipment of all sorts of things from all over the world to the United States or elsewhere? Are we, are we talking about the rare animals? Are we talking about, what are we talking about? Because if, that's the case. That's already illegal. That's already highly punishable. In fact, um, those people who receive or ship those types of goods, just watch, just simply watch a National Geographic um, show. There's a, there's a couple of shows about all of this and the punishments and the things that happen when this exact type of stuff goes down. But ecocide, ecocide. So if you fell a few too many trees as a human being and you want to make sure that you have your house not fall down, let's say, what are you going to be charged with? Now, again, the good news in all of this is, hey, they're saying this crap out loud, not just thinking it. So we know these people are nuts. We can shine the light on it. But more importantly, uh, they actually believe this stuff. Now, in the world of fun, when it comes to uh, WTF Wednesday, um, is there anybody more cringe on social media than Joe Biden? Exhibit A. 
You know, it's kind of funny. All these Republican candidates in the primary are trying to beat Donald Trump. And I'm still the only person to ever beat Donald Trump. And I'm looking forward to it again for the good of this country. And I'm looking forward to it again for the best of this country. I'm Joe Biden. I like ice cream. Now, beyond that part of it, that was 10 seconds of whether that went on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, wherever that 10, 15 second clip went, Joe Biden had to read from a teleprompter to create that content. He couldn't even memorize. I'm Joe Biden, and I'm the only person in America who has ever beaten one-on-one Donald Trump, and that still remains the case after the Iowa caucuses. So vote for me in November of 2024 if you don't like Donald Trump. As somebody who creates content on TikTok and Instagram for business, um, I would suggest that's a god-awful message to deliver because what happens when Donald Trump loses something to a member of Team GOP if he does? What, what happens then? More importantly, you delivered that with literally new energy at er. I am so not looking forward to rerunning Biden versus Trump. Both of them look old. They act old now. Biden, way more advanced on that scale than Trump, but Trump is on the scale where he was, I would argue, going into 2020, still off the scale. Just, you can't even remember as Joe Biden 10 seconds you have no ability to memorize something for 10 seconds you have to literally read from a teleprompter you couldn't hold a phone in your hand and record quick 10-15 second clip we can't do that but uh, we're going to trust that he's going to keep us out of war with Iran Okay, let, let me know how that goes for you. Then we have this from the We Love the Truth crowd. There is a cost to us as a news organization of knowingly broadcasting untrue things. Now we know that the vaccines work well enough that the virus stops with every vaccinated person. <laughs> they knew it. Then they knew it when they said it. Rachel Maddow knew it when that individual said it. Back then, that that was false. A thousand percent false. Provably false at that point in time. Impossibly false at that time, according to them. But actually false according to anybody who looked at any sort of data, who did any sort of studying. That was absolutely false. You knowingly did that. Now, as for Donald Trump and his treatment by the media here, um, I I just have a few things to say on this one. 
Um, the media suddenly cares about knowingly broadcasting untrue things when they knowingly broadcast that the Trump uh, Hunter Biden laptop story was fake, except for everybody could have known and should have known that it was real just by doing a modicum of actual journalism. Or was it the people who knowingly spread the Russia collusion hoax, knowing they couldn't verify any of the information at all? Now, here's the good news. They have the ability to deny Donald Trump airtime all they want. But I will judge you by your fruit, right? Good. I know that you are absolutely 1,000% in the tank for Joe Biden, just like I know Newsmax and Fox News is 1,000% in the tank for Donald Trump. That's good news. The problem is there are people out there who don't know and still think these people are straight-up journalists. And it is our job to continue to shine a light, and this is why this story matters to me a little bit, because we have to continue to shine a light on the lies, the the obfuscations, the whatever, if I could um, say that word. But uh, we have to focus on their lies. We have to be able to call them out. We have to pay attention sometimes to this junk. But we also have to say, you know what? Two can play the game. I don't have to focus on Joe Biden. And here's a good piece of news for me. How about we do it on both sides? And how about we de-escalate the importance of the president of the United States of America? Because that's exactly what it should be. It should just be an executor. It should be one of the least powerful instead of the most powerful position in Washington, D.C. I would argue the Speaker of the House is probably the person who should have the most power and the most importance because they're the one driving legislation and and yada, yada, yada when it comes to the House where most bills are supposed to emanate from. I am totes cool with them being in the bag. I am totes cool with Fox News being in the bag. What I am totally not cool with is their attempt to couch this as if this is about the truth. It's not. It's about your political persuasion. That's fine. But don't pee on my leg and tell me it's raining as if you care one iota, one modicum, one scintilla about the actual truth. Because you don't. You care about your political persuasion and doing the bidding of that political persuasion first and foremost. The truth be damned. I just played it for you. Now, finally, here on WTF Wednesday is, well, apparently Jim Harbaugh has some uh, massive contract demands of his fine friends at the University of Michigan. They're nuts, by the way. They're not about uh, money or years of contract, apparently. But really reliable 
journalists, people who have been way more right than wrong when covering the University of Michigan, people that I know and trust when it comes to understanding what is actually going on there, are telling us that Jim Harbaugh is demanding two things that have become massive stumbling blocks, and they should be stumbling blocks. They is now demanding that he wants immunity, immunity from suspension in the alleged sign-stealing scandal, but he also wants a quote-unquote independent panel of three people, not the AD who is the administrator of the athletic department to make a decision as to whether he can be fired for cause, quote-unquote, a la what's going on with the sign-stealing scandal, okay? So he wants immunity from that so that he can't be fired for that and then in the future cannot be fired for cause without an independent review of three different people. I don't know what that structure would look like and apparently nobody else does. But take it out of the hands of the athletic director who does the hiring, weirdly enough, but can't do the firing? Now, personally, I think this is a way for him to help himself look good, quote-unquote, as he bolts for the NFL. And there are three reasons I think he is probably very likely to go that route this time. Number one, he has actually hired an agent. That's the first time that I can find in my research, by the way, that he has ever done that. You do not do it if you're not trying to manage what could be interest from multiple teams in multiple different sides of the sport of football. You've got the NCAA, you've got the NFL, right? Number two is the sign-stealing scandal. Whether he's guilty of deep knowledge, which I actually believe will be the case if they do their proper due diligence here, based off of all of the evidence on game day of how close Connor Stallions was literally, not just figuratively, but literally to Jim Harbaugh on the sidelines, giving him cues and clues and play calls and the the signs of the opposition on the game day. You don't do that if you have no knowledge that this is even happening. Remember, there is video evidence of him doing this directly to Jim Harbaugh. That does not happen without your knowledge. But let's give him the benefit of the doubt that he, I know nothing, see nothing, right? Why would he want to stay around to have the NCAA bring the hammer down on him just like the Big Ten did already? What is the need for that? What, What does he have to prove? He just won a national championship, right? There's nothing left for him other than personal and professional damage to his reputation. That's already a damaged reputation, but I digress. And then thirdly, he's done with the games that are being played in college football and college athletics more broadly. He's even come out for being in support of full-on pay-to-play in the NCAA model, demonstrating his frustration, which I think a lot of people have, with how the current model of the NCAA is not working, 
the the NCAA model, especially around football, also men's basketball and women's basketball, is an absolute crap show, folks. If you only knew the things that go on, the actual things that are going on, the the players who make multi-million dollar demands or they're going to go elsewhere or this, that, or the other thing. And it's not about, well, know, know my value or know my worth or anything else. It, it is literally just the wild, 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 wild west. It, and I wish I could tell some of the stories that I have knowledge of. I just, I can't um, because I need to protect the people I speak with on these things. But my God, I don't know how a coach can even focus on coaching. We are literally talking about college programs on a football level having to hire NFL-style general managers to manage budgets and and personnel and player management and this, that, and everything else so that the coaches can even focus on the things that they have to do, which is recruitment of high school players not just their own players, but also high school players, and then actually focusing on producing quality players when they get there and then making sure they can keep them and then making sure that, oh, wait, there's also the the 12, 13, 14, 15, 16 games that they're actually going to play now. Let's not forget about focusing on the actual game planning and teaching the X's and O's of the game, which seems to be the last thing that is being done these days. Uh, why would he, why? He has no need for it when the NCAA model is so screwed up and he can go to the NFL and do what he wants to do, which is actually focus on day-to-day coaching. He doesn't have to focus on the roster management. He can be a consultant within that roster management situation, but he that's not going to be the main focus. Whereas today, that is, if you are a good head coach, you're not focusing on anything other than how do I maintain my roster? How do I upgrade my roster? And what other players do I want that other teams currently have? And then finding a personnel grouping within your office that will work with you to do that. It's nuts. He's basically coach, GM, uh, personnel department, It's crazy what head coaches have on their plate. That's not what they got into that job for at all. And yet that's what the NCAA's crap model right now, because it is the wild, wild west, is producing. So my prediction is that Jim Harbaugh, while might be playing hardball, is actually doing this to Michigan, asking for immunity, asking for things that are just beyond the pale. And if Michigan caves on this stuff, if you're any head coach, this is now boilerplate language in your contract. I also don't know how this contract would be enforceable because you agree as a member institution to the rules and guidelines of the NCAA. And that means there are penalties and punishments for breaking said rules and guidelines, right? 
You don't just unilaterally get to make the decision about immunity or whatever. That, that's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. We're going to be entering some very interesting territory if Michigan decides to cave on this. Thus opening up another Pandora's box, which college football doesn't need right now. But I digress. Folks, I hope you all have a really great rest of your Wednesday. That's it for WTF Wednesday. I'm Andrew Coppins. Again, you can follow me on social media. I am at The Coppins Show. And until tomorrow, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547.